Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study, everybody. I've been going, reading through my Old Testament recently, and sometimes I get stuck because there's some difficult questions that I can't answer because the Old Testament overwhelmingly is not confusing, but can be at times. So we're bringing in an expert. Welcome, everybody. This is Peter Vogt. He is the Dean of uh, Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, a Baptist seminary, right? Baptist. That's right. And so we're going to convert him to Lutheranism in this half hour. That's good, a, good luck. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, me too. Hey, but anyway, you know, Peter's an expert on the Old Testament. And before we ask him my difficult questions about the Old Testament, I always like to ask people, Peter, how did you come to know Christ? Yeah, well, I grew up nominally Presbyterian, uh, went to Sunday school. I was confirmed at 12, but it didn't mean anything to me. Went to school, to college at American University in Washington, D.C. I met a couple of guys who were faithful Christians, and they kind of were an example to me. But I went through my four years kind of playing at being a Christian. I had what I would call a, a head conversion when I was a, a freshman. But then I got back my senior year and I was about to graduate and just felt like something was missing. Everything was going great in my life, but something was missing. And one of those friends from the very first day that I got to campus said to me, well, what's missing is a real relationship with Jesus. So I thought, well, I, I, trust, I trust you. And um, so I started reading the Bible and I got to John 14, 27, when Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. And I knew that's what I was missing was the peace of Christ. So I committed my life to Christ and as is the, the case as it should be, nothing was the same since. Wonderful. All right, so a friend kind of lit, a friend and, and the scriptures. A friend in scripture, yeah, a friend pointing me to scripture. All right, and yeah. now all these years later, you're an expert in the Old Testament at seminary, and so <laughs> let me dig right into this sure. stuff, if you would. Okay, first of all, how did the Old Testament get put together? Why did certain books make it, and the uh, others, like the Apocrypha, didn't make it? Did Moses write the first five books? Who put this whole thing together? Go ahead. <laughs> well, there's lots of questions in, in there. <laughs> so really, it's written over a period of about a thousand years or so, lots of different writers writing things. Um, and the way we got what we would call the Old Testament was as a result of the people of God recognizing there was something different about certain books. The, the 39 books of the Old Testament aren't the only religious books that were written. Uh, but these are ones that were preserved and recognized as something different. Probably started with Moses, with the, the first five books of the, of the Bible, we call the Pentateuch or the Torah. Associated with Moses, the, it describes Moses' writing, and so that became kind of the standard by which other things were, were judged. So the question of what to include, what to leave out, would have been evaluated on you know, what, is, what is valuable for the people of God, Obviously, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit involved in this whole process, superintending it. But you asked about the Apocrypha. So what books are included, what are left out? There's a, there's a qualitative difference between a book like Kings, say, and Tobit uh, from the Apocrypha in terms of its, its theology. So 
If you look at a book like Tobit, which is part of the Apocrypha, never recognized as scripture by the Jews, and Protestants don't recognize it either, though Catholics consider it what they call deuterocanonical, a second canon. But you look at Tobit, and Tobit, for example, seems to accept the existence of magic, uh, and it also would suggest that salvation is found through caring for the poor. Now, caring for the poor is a biblical idea, but it's not, it's not a means to salvation. Right. And, and yet Tobit seems to apply that that's a means to, to salvation. So there's that qualitative difference that people said, no, this doesn't, this doesn't meet the standard. Yeah, and, and so just so people know, the Apocrypha are these books in between the New, 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 New Old Testament right. that the Catholic Church now believes are Scripture, and the Protestants said, no, they're not. Right. Uh, and, but didn't the early first century Jews not see them as Scripture? That's right. When, they, did, when did the canon or the list of Old Testament books kind of get completed? When was that? Well, a, a list, you, know, you might have heard of what's called the Council of Jamnia, which mm -hmm. uh, takes place at the end of the first century. And it's a Jewish council. It's a Jewish council okay. to, to talk about the, uh, what are the authorized books. That came as a result of the destruction of the temple in AD 70 when Jews were scattered. Yes. They don't have the temple. The, the structural authority of Judaism is, is upset. And so then they had to say, which books are the ones that you should pay attention to? But the, the actual, so that's when a list is prepared. Okay, about but, first century. About first century. But... The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, dates to about 200 BC, okay. and that contains the 39 books of the Old Testament that we know. What about and the so Apocrypha? Doesn't include the Apocrypha. Okay. And so, really, it was fixed no no later than okay. about 200 BC. Am I wrong on this? The way I remember reading this, and I, that even the Catholic Church put the Apocrypha in limbo until the Reformation. And when Martin Luther said that Apocrypha is good reading, it's, it's devotional, but it's not scripture, that's when the uh, Catholics officially decided, yes, it is. Am that's I right. wrong on that? That's my understanding in the Council of Trent yeah. in 1526. And so again, it's not like they're evil books or anything. Luther even thought they were good devotional reading, but they're not scripture. That's right. All right. So, uh, but the New Testament's different. The New Testament was written, not written over a thousand years. Correct. Tell me about the New Testament. So the New Testament's written about... Well, it depends on when you date the Gospel of John and say that. So at most 100 years, I mean, from Jesus' birth to 95, AD 95 yeah, or so. Yeah, so really John, within, within decades. And, and it was much shorter than that because, of course, nothing was written in year zero about right. Jesus. It comes much later. Yeah. So really a period of about, at the most, 60 years or so. And that followed a similar process where people said, well, these we're going to preserve because of their association with apostolic authority and others we can we can let go. Mm -hmm. Some of it for both Old and New Testament, but particular for New Testament, was a question of persecution. So when, when authorities are knocking at your door and saying, hey, give me your, give me your book, or, or you know, in house church and saying, we want those books, what are you gonna hand over? Are you gonna hand over the Gospel of Matthew? Are you gonna hand over Deuteronomy? No. But you might hand over Tobit and say, "Well, go ahead and take okay. go ahead and take Tobit." Okay. So and then so the New Testament is completed just within maybe sixty years. Uh, what do you say to somebody that said, "Okay, you said the New Old Testament was like a thousand years." What do you say to someone who says, "Well, yeah, over a thousand years it got changed. People put it their opinion, and and so we know that uh, the Old Testament is not maybe as reliable as the New Testament." Yeah. What do you say to that? Well, I think. We have to recognize that the practice of, of scribal transmission, the way people are copying things, there was a lot of strict rules and regulations about that that people were following so that uh, they were very interested in making sure Preserving. that it was right. Yeah. And remember, 
you know, we don't know when exactly they, they thought of certain texts as the word of God, but at some point they came to see these things as that. So they're handling the very word of God. They're going to be very, very careful. Yeah. When you look at, you know, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered uh, in the 1940s, that moved our, our manuscript evidence by about a thousand years. Right. Prior to that, the, the earliest manuscript we had of the Old Testament dated to about a thousand AD mm -hmm. or so. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls take us to about 200 BC, so you know, around, around right, there. Right, because a boy threw a rock in a cave or something in 1946, right. yep. found these old copies of the Old Testament books. Right. So they're 1,200 years older because the they, they came from 200 BC. Right. And so when you line it up with what they had in 1000 AD versus 200 BC, were there lots of changes? No, in fact, the, the book of Isaiah, the longest book of the, of the Bible, now, there were, there were minor changes in terms of spelling, in terms of grammar, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But in terms of major kinds of changes, uh, there, one text critic who evaluates these sorts of things, they say there are about 12 changes in the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. There are about 12 changes, very insignificant kinds of, of changes. One mm -hmm. person says that the most significant change was uh, in one place it says door, and in another place it says gate. Nothing hinges in my theology on whether <laughs> something is a door or a gate. Right. And it's amazing, I mean, the, the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls just kind of, I mean, Isaiah 53 is in there. You can't right. say that that was written after the crucifixion because right. we found a copy from 200 BC which prophesies the death of Christ. Sure, yeah. absolutely. All right, now you and I believe in what's called the inerrancy of Scripture, that Scripture is totally true. Now here's where I get a little bit of a headache reading my New Testament, Old Testament that is. For instance, <laughs> the book of Kings, Yep. and Chronicles. Yep. Sometimes they're describing the very same event or the very same battle, but I'm, I'm making this up now. Sure. Kings might say there were 5,000 soldiers, yep. and Chronicles might say there are 50,000 soldiers. Yep. They're talking about the very same story. Sure. So what do you do with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, before I address some specifics, I want to say it's important to understand when we're when we're interpreting anything, to recognize there are different audiences that are being addressed. The audience of, of Kings is different from the audience of, of Chronicles. Mm -hmm. The authors of those books had different priorities that they're doing. And, and so one aspect of inerrancy to understand is that Scripture is inerrant without error uh, in terms of the communicative intention of the, of the author. Okay. So, for example, when I, you, you might ask me, how much money do you make a year? And I might respond, let's say I make, I make $51,486.92. That's not my salary, but let's say that's what it is. Mm -hmm. You ask me how much money I make, I say 50,000. 50, well, have I told you the truth? Well, I told you I made 51,000, I don't remember the numbers now, yeah, but yeah. Uh, 50, you know, but I, so have I told you the truth? Well, if we're just friends hanging out and talking, then you don't expect a, a down to the last decimal point on that. But if I say to the IRS on my tax return, I make $50,000 and I actually make 51000 mm -hmm. then I've lied. Okay. So we have to understand the communicative intention. The, the, what's the communicative setting of what's going on here when we're interpreting that? So when it comes to things like the, the differences there, we have to recognize there, as I mentioned, different audiences, different times that are, that are being addressed. And they're, they're is a reflection of the different culture. Now, the particular example you mentioned, um, we'd have to look at chapter and verse to know that, but there are also instances where the reigns of kings, for example, that's one of the biggest problems of kings and chronicles comparing that. What we find is that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom calculated dates differently. They had different new years, um, and they would calculate dates differently so that when one king took 
uh, took office in one of the kingdoms, in, in the northern kingdom, they count it as starting at that moment. Whereas in Judah, they would count it as after he's been on the throne for one year. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden you've got a difference between, right. these, uh, between these two things. Then you have things like co- co-regents, things like that, where you have, you know, remember David anoints Solomon as king while David is still alive. Mm-hmm. So that, when does Solomon become king? Yep, uh, so th- those can, so let me ask you this. It says 5,000, again, I'm making it sure. up, 5,000 in Kings, 50,000 in yeah. Chronicles. Yeah. What I have read is when we believe in the inerrancy of scripture, we're talking about the original manuscripts. That's right. And that there could have been a mistake later by a scribe. Absolutely. Is that an okay way to answer that? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and, and we know, we can see, you know, there's, there's a whole science of evaluating the manuscripts to look at these sorts of things and determine what kinds of errors can be entered into into copying. Okay. I mentioned the high view of scripture that causes them to be very good at copying, but they're not perfect. Okay. So yes, sometimes that's, uh, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes they're trying to harmonize. You know, they, yeah. they know kings and so they're, they're trying to say this. Tell us what the Septuagint, it's the, the Septuagint is the Greek uh, taking the Hebrew Old Testament and turning it into Greek. That's right. When was that done? That was around 250 to 200 BC Why? so. Why was that done? Well, because the remember that uh, the Jews uh, were conquered by first the Assyrians mm-hmm. uh, in 721 mm-hmm. uh, BC, then the Babylonians come in and conquer Judah in 586 BC, then the Persians come in, and then the Greeks come in. And so you've got all these different language groups, cultures, that okay. sort of thing. And uh, you so find in Ezra and Nehemiah the description that children weren't able to speak Hebrew right. anymore. So they're learning the language. Greek was the language of the empire. That was the common, okay. the common language. So when the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, do they normally quote from the Hebrew or from the Greek Septuagint? Most often they're quoting from the Septuagint. Is there, aren't there some rather difficult changes between the Greek and the Hebrew? There and are we, some. And we stick with the Hebrew, don't we? In, in most instances, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, because, you know, th- so there's different, you, you find it particularly in uh, Jeremiah, there's some, some particularly significant differences okay. there. But by and large, we follow the, the Hebrew uh, the Because that's the one we believe was originally inspired by the Spirit. Right. Remember, the, the Septuagint is a translation. Oh, right. So every time there's a translation, okay. it's an interpretation. Okay. What about this? Sometimes I'm reading in Kings and Chronicles, and they'll use a number that's like huge, like a huge number of soldiers. Yep. And you wonder, really? And so is something going, are the numbers, is numbering different 5,000 years ago than it is today? Yeah. When it comes to, you you don't find that so much in Kings and Chronicles where where people resort to saying, well, that's a different numbering system. Okay. Sometimes in in Genesis, for example, in the genealogies, the the age of some of the the uh, pre-flood people, that sort of thing. Yeah, Um, Methuselah was 969 years old. Right. Now, God can do anything. Sure. Did it mean that he was, in our years, 969 yeah. years old? Well, as you would imagine, scholars are divided on that. Okay. Some would say that it was a different, a different numbering system, a, a numbering system based on 60 as opposed to 10, okay. you know, our, and, and that that accounts for it. Some say it was a, a monthly sort of a thing. Some say it's a lunar calendar. Those don't really solve all the problems for us, though, because it, it, sometimes it creates more problems. My solution to that is to say that, you know, human beings, if we, if we take the Bible seriously in the presentation in Scripture, if we take that seriously, human beings were not created to die. 
I mean, that, that they were going to live eternally in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. It was human sin that brought death into yep. the world. So I would interpret this in the absence of other evidence that uh, most likely what's happening is that it's a, a reflection of that sort of eternal intention that God had for human beings. In other words, it didn't just happen instantly that uh, the life expectancy goes from eternal oh, to down. Whatever, whatever life expectancy So you would tend to think it was literally I would tend to think that it was probably... Okay, interesting. Uh, now, there could be evidence that would come out that would make me say, right. this accounts for the numbering yep. system difference and I might yep. change my and mind. We're being that. picky here, but this is the kind of stuff that drives me a little nuts. And I, I would say I, I finally paid the money to buy the ESV study Bible. Yeah. And I want to encourage our, our, our viewers, this thing is great. At the bottom of each page, they have good study notes explaining the difficult verses and how do you reconcile some of this stuff. So I, I highly uh, recommend the ESV Study Bible. What do you like? What version do you like? Um, I like the ESV. I like the NIV. Uh, those are probably my two top ones. Okay. Um, I, I work, of course, with Hebrew and Greek um, myself as uh -huh. well. So. Okay, good. Um, a few other questions here for you. Uh, so... Did Moses write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? And did he write all of those books? Because some of those books he's talking about his own death then, which probably wasn't. I mean, so what do you, how, right. do you, how do you interpret that? Well, of course, in Genesis, he wasn't there for any of the events right. of Genesis, whereas in Exodus through most of Deuteronomy, he was. I think, yes, he did write those things. Um, you have 22 references in Scripture to the law of Moses. So it's, it's associating Moses with... Uh, with the legal material, certainly in in the Pentateuch, it references in in John seven twenty two the circumcision according to the custom of Moses. Okay, that is uh, described in Genesis seventeen. That's the most elaborate treatment of of circumcision in the Old Testament, uh, and so and Abraham is described as circumcising Isaac in in uh, Genesis twenty one according to a certain custom. So, I think. The Old Testament and New Testament writers seem to have associated the, the Pentateuch, the first mm -hmm. five books, with, with Moses. Doesn't it, isn't it okay, though, to say that when Moses died, that material was added by a later editor? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, some would say, I don't hold this view, some would say that God showed him what was going to happen, Moses wrote it down, it happened, and then he died. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's true. I doubt it, but uh -huh. I don't think it's necessary to conclude that because right. to say that somebody else, probably Joshua, added that and did some other editing. We know there was a language update uh, at, certain, at certain points where, where language and grammar was updated so that instead of sounding like you know, King James English, yes. be updating the language to today, yep. that happened. And we trust the Holy Spirit oversaw all We trust all the Holy that. Spirit. Now, so. let me, one of the big questions I have when I read the book of Ezekiel, and I'm throwing this at you, and if you haven't studied it, just say we'll move on. Ezekiel spends lots of time giving details about this future temple mm -hmm. that the Jews will build when they come back, yeah. and they never build it. Yeah. And I, some people think, well, he's talking about the end of time. Mm -hmm. others, say, others say, what? What do you do with that? Yeah. I would tend, first of all, let me just say as a caveat, I'm, my special, specialty is more Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch. So gotcha. I'm, I'm, we'll get to that. I'm not an expert, uh, I'm not an expert <laughs> okay. in Ezekiel. Okay. I would tend to put it as uh, eschatological, so end, an end time uh, sort of But they're of doing thing. sacrifices so, in that end time temple. Yeah. I didn't say it was a perfect solution. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. Let's get to Deuteronomy because that's what you, you studied the most. Right. That, to me, is one of the more, if I can say this, fun books of the Old <laughs> Testament because it's easy to read. It's yeah. deep in teaching. It doesn't get into long genealogies. Speaking of which, before we get into Deuteronomy, 
why do they have those long genealogies in yeah. the Bible? What's that about? Sure. And telling you how many armies and you know what sure. the what the well, yeah. what's that all about? I think we have to remember that Scripture was written to real people at a real time and place. We're not the audience of Scripture in in terms of its primary intentionality. So when when Moses writes or whoever wrote Kings writes, they're not thinking of of us. They're not thinking of of you know people of God hundred years in the future or 200 years in the future. They're thinking of a particular audience at that time. And one of the things that they're doing in presenting these genealogies and the data is that is to show that these things took place in the real world. These are, mm -hmm. these are real world things that, that happened um, and the genealogies are, people see themselves in that. Remember, Israelites identified as members of a certain tribe. So it was important to them. It was important to them. And it shows my ancestors were a part of this great restoration project that God embarked on. Why, so am I. Why, that makes sense. Why the great detail about the tassels on the curtains and the temple? Because they go on and on. Yeah. What's that all about? Yeah. Well, remember, this is the this is the dwelling place of God, and they they want to get it right. They want to get it, it the, the God of the universe deserves a great place, especially when you think of the gods of the nations around the Israelites, mm -hmm. who just to be clear, aren't real gods, but the people believed they were. You know, they have these elaborate temples. Surely the God of the Israelites, the, the one true God, deserves nothing okay. inferior to those people. What about this, and then we'll talk about Deuteronomy. <laughs> So now and then you get, you know, Pastor, God was so angry in the Old Testament, and he's so loving in the New Testament. I had an old guy say, did God change his mind about us? What would you yeah. say to that? Well, here's the analogy that I use often with my students. You know, in Genesis 15, God tells Abram that he's going to give him the land of the Canaanites. He's going to inherit this land, but that the sin of the Amorites isn't yet complete, and so he's not going to get it right then. That was in 2100 B.C., the Israelites take possession of the land in about 1400 BC or so, 1446. Um, so about 700 years for the, the Amorites to, to change their mind, to, to repent and turn. The presence of Melchizedek says, for example, that uh, God is active among the Canaanites, revealing himself, so they had the opportunity to change their minds. Now jump to the New Testament, okay? And you know the story um, in Ananias and Sapphira, right? So they, they lie about uh, the proceeds of the sale of the, of the land. How long did they get to repent? Seconds? <laughs> Not 700 years. So I, I think it's a, it's a mistake to say that God has changed his character. Right. God is a God of justice in yep. the Old and the New Testament. That's right. part of his character. God is a God of love in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yep. Where we get tripped up, I think, most significantly is because we don't recognize that the portrayal of God as a God of grace, even in the Old Testament, as a God of love, even in the Old Testament, is culturally appropriate. So it's in contrast to the, the Canaanite god Baal mm -hmm. or the, the um, Babylonian god Marduk and, and how those gods are portrayed. Uh, when you compare those gods to Yahweh as portrayed in the Old Testament, it's night and day right. and clearly a loving God. So, I mean, you'd agree there's lots of love of God in the Old Testament. Absolutely. There's lots of wrath of God in the New. Absolutely. I mean, read Romans 1, 2, and 3. That's right. You know? Well, all right, because, and, you know, we've got three minutes. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of an expert in the book of Deuteronomy. 
How is that book different? And was that written by Moses? And how is it different from sure. the rest of the Old Testament? It's written by Moses. It's written to a different audience from the earlier books of the uh, of the Pentateuch. Even mm -hmm. though Moses wrote both, mm -hmm. uh, he's writing to the second generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt. Remember, the first generation comes out, they go to what I call the front door of the Promised Land and rebel and refuse to do what God tells them to do. They're condemned to die in the wilderness. The next generation comes to the back door to the Promised Land, and they are faced with a choice: Are you going to do what your parents did, or are you going to obey God? And they're going to do this without Moses. Moses is not going into the land for his own sin and rebellion. So Deuteronomy is Moses' last best chance oh, to is. tell the Israelites so what they need the to know. So it's the end of his life. It's the end of his life. It's his last chance to tell them what they need to know in order to be the people of God gotcha. in a world that's hostile to them and, and in a way that uh, calls them to faithful living because it matters. Okay. And, and then it was hugely influential throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and that's why it's my, it's my favorite book uh, because, of, because of that. And I think it, it's supremely again, relevant it's, for it's, us too. It's easy to read. Yeah. It's just broad themes about God, life, right, you know, right and wrong. Um, and you know, uh, uh, Peter, you've got, I want to point people because you have a podcast. And if we could put that on the screen, uh, if people, what do you do on your podcast so people can look at sure. this? Sure. It's, uh, um, it's called Whole and Holy. It's the Bethel Seminary podcast. Okay. And so uh, we have guests on there. It's, it's really geared for pastors, ministry leaders, and lay leaders and, and ministry leaders, faithful folks who want to think about lots of different aspects of, of church life and, and being followers of Jesus. We cover all sorts of different uh, topics on so there So what they're going to do is they're going to Google the words whole and holy. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Yes. Okay, whole and holy, and, and they'll get your podcast. We got one minute left, Peter. Um, one last question. Sure. Somebody says, look, I'm a Christian. We got the New Testament. I, I really don't read the Old Testament much. I just like to read the New Testament. What do you say to that person? Well, the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. Uh, when, when people were trying to understand who God is, New Testament writers wanted to understand who God is, they looked to the Old Testament. And so if you, I would say the simple answer, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to understand you the Old Testament. You have to read the Old Testament. You have Good. to understand it. Well, thank you, Peter. God bless your important work. Everybody check out his, you Google the words whole and then that eighth and holy, and then you'll get the podcast. Right. Or and go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Or go to iTunes. iTunes or Stitcher, those all okay. aggregate uh, podcasts. And you'll find that You'll there. find it there. Good, everybody. Well, everybody, thanks for being with us. Read your Old Testament and your New Testament. And again, we like the ESV Study Bible. We like the NIV. NIV Study Bible is NIV excellent. Study Bible Just is good. Out. Good. And uh, we, we want to thank you because it's because of your God giving to us through your generous donations that we're on the air. And you're, a lot of people write us letters. They pray for us. They are very appreciative. We don't get as much hate mail as you would expect. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear that. We're kind of blunt on the air here about social issues. But God bless you. Pray for us. And we'll see you next time at the Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching the Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.